All right, well, we're going to get started. It's good to see all of you this evening. Uh, thank you for coming out on a Wednesday night for our study of the Kings. And we're going to continue. We're in chapter 17 tonight. I want to welcome our live stream audience who are watching. And we always are happy to have you and uh, pray that the Lord ministers to you this evening as well. Uh, there, there's, there's food, there's water, there's, I don't know if there's, co there's coffee in the back. So if you haven't had a chance to grab a little something, go ahead and do that. But let's go ahead and begin this evening and, and uh, let's, let's begin with prayer. And Father, tonight we come together and we give thanks to you because this is the day that the Lord has made. We are commanded to rejoice and be glad in it. And it doesn't matter what is happening around us or in us. We are to always give thanks. Be thankful in all situations, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. And so tonight, Lord, we come with thankful hearts, with humble hearts, uh, wanting to, to receive from your word, asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts, to take us deeper in our faith, to strengthen our Bible understanding so that it can flesh out in daily living. And we just give you praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in 1 Kings 17, and verse 1 says, Now Elijah, so we have a new name on the scene. Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe or Tishb uh, in Gilead. He said to Ahab, remember Ahab is the king, the northern king, and he is the most wicked king of all. If you notice, in the northern kingdom, it's gone downhill. It's never been a case of this, where a good king, bad king, bad king, good king. It was continual downward flow, a downward spiral. And all the kings prior to Ahab, it spoke of them as being the, uh, in the same light of what king? What, who was the first king? Jeroboam. And so Jeroboam was evil, and they were all like Jeroboam. And then all of a sudden we come to, to Ahab, and it says he was not like Jeroboam. He was worse, <laughs> worse than Jeroboam. And the, the big deal is he set up national idol worship and commanded it of the people. So where Jeroboam allowed for false idols and false worship, uh, and he himself participated in it. Now it's to the point in the northern kingdom where it's com you're commanded, it's legislated that you worship this way. And I'm thankful that we still in America have not gone that far off the cliff, you know. Uh, we are on a very slippery slope, and I don't believe that we will ever recover as a nation to what it used to be. And you say, why would you take such a negative view? Because the Bible does. The Bible doesn't say it's going to get better in the end. It says in the end it's going to get worse. And, and so we're, what we're so now here's the thing. Let's keep it in perspective. Don't just take what I said and think, oh my goodness, he's a doom and gloom guy. I don't want to sit under that teaching anymore. Listen, speaking truth about what we're facing as a nation is important. But always know, always know, no matter how bad it gets in this nation, God is still sovereign, He's in control, and inside of you is Jesus, 
and you, the Bible declares, you are part of the kingdom of God. That was our study in the, in the Gospel of Matthew that we took over a year to study and to find out that, that uh, Christ lives in us and, and that in Him, in the kingdom of God that's in us, there's righteousness, there's peace, and there's joy in the Holy Spirit. So no matter what happens outside of us, if you were living in the Ukraine right now, if you were in North Korea, totally pagan, anti-God nation, righteousness, peace, and joy are still yours. See, this is having a right biblical worldview. This is the view that God wants us to carry every day. So it allows you, knowing who you are in Christ, knowing that you're a citizen of heaven even while you're here, knowing that Christ lives and abides in you, that gives you the hope to go out into this dark, dingy, putrefaction world and share Christ with others to bring them out of the darkness and into His marvelous light. Does that make sense? So even though it's getting worse for a Christian, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I know some Christians right now are going berserko over the fact that former President Trump's uh, Mar-a-Lago home was raided by the FBI. I'm concerned about that too. I'm very concerned about that in our nation. However, the dog barks, but the train rolls on. Jesus is still on the throne. This nation is not going to be a great nation because of a man. I don't care what his name is. It's a great nation when the people individually open their hearts and turn to God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's the people turning, not the president, not the administration. We don't want to legislate Christianity in America any more than we want to legislate Baal worship. And we, it's got to be in the heart, right? Does that make sense? So have faith, have hope. No matter what happens, no matter, no matter how bad it gets, know this, the darker it gets the brighter the light of Christ will shine in darkness. And that's exactly what's happening here. All we've read about up to this point since the northern kingdom was divided uh, from Judah is how bad things are and how, how they're getting worse and worse. And then in the midst of the darkest hour when Ahab, the absolute worst king, and his wife Jezebel, there's no woman in all of Scripture that is more evil, more deceitful than Jezebel. And in that hour, God sends the prophet Elijah. See, God never loses His direction, His vision, His purpose. So we need to keep our eyes on God's purpose for our lives, not the purpose of America. We are Hopefully all of us here are American citizens. I say that because I think it's the greatest nation on the earth even to this day. I'm very thankful to be an American citizen. But I can tell you right now that if you cut me, I bleed Jesus. Because more than even being an American is that I belong to the Lord. I am a citizen of heaven. America will come and it will go. But my relationship with Christ will never end. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I hold on to that with great joy, with great peace. Amen? All right, so that little intro kind of sets up where we're going here. 
we find that when Elijah is introduced here, he's literally in the presence of King Ahab, this wicked king. So you've got this man of God, the symbol of God's righteousness, standing before the most wicked, vile king up to this point in Israel's history. And he says to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So Elijah comes on the scene at a crucial time in the history of, of Israel. And unlike any time before, he needs, God needs to send an Elijah. Okay, uh, The name Elijah means, you want to know what it means? It means the Lord is God. So he shows up in front of Ahab, who now no longer belongs or believes in God. Ahab has completely forgotten God. And the northern kingdom has, for the most part, forgotten God. And guess who shows up? A man whose name is the Lord is God. It's like putting it in your face, right? This is what he's doing. And uh, Ahab now ruling over Israel. God sends Elijah as a dominant spiritual force to warn not just Ahab, but the people of their apostasy. Apostasy simply means falling away. They're apostate. They're falling away. Uh, so at this time in Israel's history, the worship of the one true God is nearly completely forgotten, and the land is filled with these priests of Baal, and they have not only these idols set up everywhere that you can worship, but they have groves. They have these areas on high places where you can go and worship Baal everywhere. Okay, They're common. They're everywhere. Why? Because now it's been legislated by Ahab and by those before him that the people would worship false gods. Okay, So this entire kingdom is filled with perverted power, it's filled with insolence, greed, licentiousness, reprobate leaders, okay? Leaders that cannot think straight. They can't think rightly. A reprobate leader is a, is a debased leader, meaning good to them is evil and evil is good. They're completely perverted. They've turned it inside out. And what God has created, they now go the opposite direction direction. This is the leadership that Elijah uh, comes under as he comes into uh, on the scene here. And uh, at this point in Israel's history, uh, the fires of persecution are probably at their, at their peak. If you did worship God, you would be truly persecuted for it, looked down upon for it, because it's no longer, it's no longer in the law. That they're looking. It's now their own, their own law, the, the worship of, of false idols. And it's so bad, the apostasy is so bad, listen to this, that there are only 7,000 left who have not bowed down to Baal. We learned that in chapter 18. There's 7,000 that have not bowed down to Baal. And get this, listen now. And Elijah doesn't know of any of them. He actually said to the Lord, I'm the only one left. And the Lord said, get up, 
I've got 7,000 who haven't bowed down to Baal. He didn't see it. Why? Because the 7,000 are scared to death. They're fearful for their lives if they speak out. This is the age, this is the time in history that we're studying tonight. It is a very, very serious, this is a serious chapter that takes us into understanding how God works when evil seems to be overpowering everything and that they're in control. I think of our nation right now. I think about the evil in every, you know, sometimes you look at a nation and you think of the leader and you say that leader is evil. In America, listen, it's the agencies that have become evil. It's far bigger than the White House or the legislation, the Congress, the Senate, and the House. It's much more than that. We're talking about uh, agencies that are supposed to serve the people and provide safety and security for people. And at the top of agencies, there's corruption. It's in all of them. It's just, it's, it's sad. Look at the educational system in America right now. What they are gladly pushing on children. Ten years ago, it would have, you would have been arrested for pedophilia. Some of the things that they're pushing on children today. So it's in this season that we see God raise up a standard of righteousness. And, and the persecution is so great, he doesn't even think there's anybody left but him. So I want you to have that picture as we look now at the words, what he says to Ahab. Think about, this is a guy who comes representing the Lord. And he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives. He's saying that to a king who no longer believes that God is important. A king who now worships the Baals. And he says, God of Israel lives. Uh, I'm sure that made the king excited. I'm sure he just thought, oh, you're my buddy, you're my pal. Let's, let's go have some, some tea together. No, no, this, this ticked him off. He says, before whom I stand. I stand before you, Ahab, but I'm also standing in the presence of the God who lives. He's here with me right now. So he is walking in boldness. And he says, there shall neither be dew nor rain, for these years, he doesn't say how many in that moment, except by my word. Now, I will tell you there are people who have read this text and have taken it to mean that whatever I ask, God has to do it. Because I'm a child of God, I'm washed by the blood, therefore I get to wield the words of God as I want to use them. That is not what Elijah is doing. God has sent Elijah. God has given him what to say to the king. And he does pray. He prays for it. Prayer is not to give us what we want. Prayer is to humble us before a holy God and do what he wills. That's the purpose of, purpose of prayer. Okay, so uh, let, let's keep moving here. Uh, on appearance, it looks as if Elijah is acting upon his own praying for a drought, but that's never the case. Man cannot pray a right prayer that doesn't align with God, with God's purpose. You'll never, you pray the most beautiful prayer, pray all you want. If it's not God's will, it ain't happening. Now, if it does happen and it's not God's will and it happened, 
It's because God allowed it to happen to teach you through what you asked that it was wrong to ask of it. That's happened a lot of times. God gives us the things we ask for, not because it's His will, but because we need to learn a lesson. Have any of you ever had that experience? Like, you know, you pray for a job. Lord, I just know if I get this job, if I can just have this job. And God says, okay, go ahead. And, he, and the door opens. And you get in the job, and after the first six months, you're miserable. Because you really weren't concerned with what God wanted to do in your life. You were more concerned about God granting you your three wishes, like a genie in the bottle. And so God sometimes allows that to happen. Other times, you get what you want. You know why? Because it's demonic-led. Satan does have power in this world. He's the prince, Jesus said, of this world. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and scribes and said, you are the sons of the devil. You're doing his work. He's putting you up to do things. You're following him. So it's very possible to think you're serving the Lord when honestly, you've left God in the dust. You're out doing your own thing and you're calling it God's work. It's not God's work. It's your work or possibly even the work of the enemy. And don't think that Satan wants to, to, you to do a work that is just you know, evil, like becoming a porn star or something. No, what Satan does is he wants you to look as if you're doing God's work, even though you're not really doing it. So that's where the cults come from. A cult will take bits and pieces of Scripture and create their own... Their own uh, they syncretistically make their own belief system. And it's not biblical. So we need to be careful, okay? So God is going to show through Elijah that he is stronger and more mighty than Baal. That's the whole purpose of Elijah coming on the scene, to prove Ahab and Israel wrong in their beliefs. Now, that looks like, it does look like here, that it's a form of judgment. And, and to a degree it is. Uh, when he kills the 450 prophets of Baal, that's a judgment. But it also is God showing mercy. God's still trying to reach them. He's still trying to prove that he is God and trying to get them to see it, okay? Uh, James chapter 5, write this down. James chapter 5, verse 16. And I'll, go, I'll read verse 16 through 18. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And listen what, listen what James said, the brother of Jesus. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So when you are lined up with God doing His work, your prayers have great power. Verse 17, listen to what James said. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and earth bore its fruit. If you read that on the surface, it makes it sound like Elijah, he, what a powerful prayer life. Whatever he prayed, he got. That's not it. If you go back, and we're going to see it later, when the drought ends, God had told Elijah the drought was going to end. So Elijah is just in tune with God. That's why he's able to say it's gonna, it's gonna, there's going to be a drought. That's why he said there's going to be a time when it rains again. He's tuned into God. That's the best place for you and I to be in this age. You stay tuned into God. You stay tuned into His Word. This is your hope right here. Okay? So let's keep moving. Uh, when, when Elijah said, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, 
This is a reminder to Ahab that even though you have forgotten God, he still lives, he's still in the game. In fact, he's controlling all the pieces on the board. And verse 2, and the, and the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. Out of that three ver or four verses, what really strikes me is, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Elijah, everything he's doing is according to the word of the Lord. Now, I'm not... We don't, people today say, well, I, you know, God tells me all kinds of things. I, you know, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me that, the Lord told me. If all you're doing is walking around saying what the Lord's told you, you're off base. Let me tell you why. Because that means you're placing what you think God is saying to you ahead of what God has said to you. You ought to be quoting this a whole lot. Amen? This is where you find your answers. Because you can easily deceive yourself into thinking it's God speaking. Lord... Thank you, Lord. The Lord just told me that, that, that He wants me to have a 27-foot renegade boat with twin engines on that thing so that I can go to the Bahamas and I can take people for ministry trips to the Bahamas and we can fish and talk about the Lord. That's what the Lord told me. We do that kind of stuff all the time. Maybe not to that degree, but we do. We need to line up with the Word. The Word. And that's what He says here. Uh, the moment that Elijah made the announcement about the drought over the northern kingdom, Ahab and others would have been really threatened by his words. Why? You're speaking against the land. You're telling us that we're not going to have rain. The crops are going to fail. We're going to go into a drought. So you're speaking against this nation. So now, all of a sudden, he becomes the target. He stood boldly before the king, proclaimed the truth that God gave him, and now God says, now I want you to follow me, and I'm going to take you to a hiding place. Okay? So here's the question. How does God lead us? How does God lead us? Well, I'm going to tell you how He leads. The Bible says He leads one step at a time. God never lays out the whole picture for you. He gives you what you need to make another step by faith. you got to walk every day by faith. And that's what he tells Elijah. So now he was faithful to go to the king to speak the words, and immediately God says, now go to Cherith. I want you to go to Cherith. Get there quickly. I'm going to... What did he say? Hide yourself by the brook Cherith. So God now gives step two. So now he takes off. And he gets there. And then he tells him, you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So during the drought, you are going to have water that I'm providing, and you're going to have food, meat and bread. The ravens are going to feed you, okay, what you have. So Psalm 37, write it down, Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. Psalm 37, 23, 24. Listen to what it says. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. I think in the NIV, or maybe it's the King James, the New King James, it says, 
the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. God knows the steps, each and every step. He's not going to give you the path and all the direction and that you can follow. He just wants you to have one step at a time. So this is how God led even Elijah, who is the man of God for the hour. But he never gave him more than one step at a time. Why would we expect God to do more for us than Elijah? Okay? So, uh, God led Elijah by faith. So I want you to get the picture here, okay? Elijah has just become famous as an adversary of Ahab. His prayers are so mighty that now the rains have ceased to fall. He is famous. What does God do to this famous man of God? Hides him away. I don't want you to be out in public where people see you and start talking positively about you and throwing kudos your way. I want you to go hide yourself in me so that you keep your feet on the ground and you stay humble. So he's off alone now with God. At the moment of his newfound fame, God wanted Elijah to hide and be alone with him. This is also the way of the Lord for us. If you are serving in the Lord in some capacity or you're ministering to a person, let's say that you've taken on the responsibility of discipling someone, meeting with them weekly, and, and the two of you go through. By the way, I found some wonderful material that we're going to use and put in your hands so that you can one-on-one -on -one disciple someone, and you should all be doing that. But let's say that person, after the first four to five weeks, they're just praising you, man. They're singing your song. Thank you so much. You're awesome. I can't, I've never met a Christian like you, and... And you're just, you're just taking it in, you know, and you're trying to be humble, but man, the old flesh is rising up saying, I want to hear more, more. <laughs> and, and God says, Let, let's just go over here for a little while. Let me get you out of this. See, what happens is we start hearing the praises of man as we minister for the Lord, and we stop spending time with the Lord. And we could be guilty of that where we love what we do for the Lord more than we love the Lord. We fall in love with His ministry that He gave us. And we stop taking time away. This is really important that we see this in the text. Yes, He's hiding because He's now probably under persecution, under a threat, and God's protecting Him but God is also ministering to him. He needs this ministry. Okay? Uh, so he escapes to the brook Cherith and was, and was ministered to by the, the ravens. The name Cherith comes from the ancient Hebrew word meaning to cut away or to cut up or to cut off. So this shows that God had some cutting to do in Elijah's life. I want to keep you humble. We've got a big mission ahead. My purposes are great, and I need you to stay humble and broken. So God puts him in a place where there's nobody praising him. Hereth was a specific place where God wanted Elijah to be. If he obeyed the Lord and stayed where God wanted him, he would be cared for, for his food, for his water that God provided. Sometimes God calls us to a retreat place where He can strengthen and grow us. 
and we grow frustrated because we saw it differently. I don't want to be under them. I want to be under her or him. And we're thinking, man, God, you blew it. I, that person, look at their ministry. That's who I want to sit under. This guy? Seriously? Um, when you are desperate for God, you never second-guess God's choice choices for you. If you look in your life, in the moments that you were desperate for God, whatever He told you to do by His Word, whatever advice, biblical, spiritual advice was given you by a godly person, you, you just did it. Why? I'm desperate. You'll let Jesus do whatever He needs to do. You won't make demands. You won't claim rights. Our nation is great for us claiming our rights. But in Christ, you have no right. Christ is your life, Galatians 2.20 tells us. So now I just do whatever God says. When I was a young man in Daytona Beach coming out of college and God called me into the ministry, and I was totally clueless. I did not go to college. I, I didn't go off to college to get a, a, a theology degree or a Bible study degree. I went to get a business degree, and I did. Four years, I got a business degree, came out of school. The night I came with my, my diploma in my hand, walked out of the auditorium, 7, 000, it holds 7,000 people. I walked to the back and walk out under this little cover area outside the auditorium, and a pastor walked up to me and said, Greg, are you going to be going back to Daytona before you start looking for a job, searching for a job? And I said, yeah, I want to go back and see my parents, and I, I plan to go there until the Lord opens the right door for me. And uh, he said, well, I want you to come to my office when you get back. I want to speak to you. This guy was not my pastor. When I went to college, my pastor left the church. So the four years I was in school... This guy had come in. I didn't know him from Adam. And, uh, well, that's not true. I did go two summers earlier, after my sophomore year, I went back to my home church in the summer to work construction, make some more money, and, and they asked if we would help, me and my, my best friend would help with the youth group because they were without a youth pastor at that time. So we did that for the summer, and we had a wonderful time. It was a lot of fun. So I did know the guy from a distance, but I didn't know him. He didn't really know me. He walks up to me and he said, Greg, come see me when you get back. Uh, he said, I, I believe God is calling you into the ministry. Now, think about this. I'm holding my business degree in my hand, my diploma. And God's calling you. So I went and met with him and, and I made a decision. I'm going to give one year to helping the church work with the youth. And then, because I got a year, I'm not married, I don't have kids, and nothing holding me down, so I can give, give a year, and then I'll head out and do what I'm, whatever God's calling me to do. I never looked back. So you, in that time, that pastor left the church. He was only there for a short time. And um, now a new guy comes in. And the new guy, if you can just picture this in your mind, a mixture of Johnny Cash 
and um, Elvis Presley. That was this guy. He comes in, he's got this polyester shirt unbuttoned down to here with a gold chain. He's got, he's got tattoos up and down his arms from before he knew Christ. He was out in the world just sowing oats. And his voice was bigger than life. He would preach. He was a preaching machine. The guy was an incredible preacher. But every once in a while in his sermon, I guess a little bit of the old edge came out. He'd say, good God, good God. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, help us. I went to the hospital with this guy. Now, I'm just the youth, the youth director, okay? And he wanted me to go to the hospital with him to visit the oldest saint in the church, Sister Grace Bevel. Bevel Road in Daytona, a major thoroughfare running east I-4. You know, ever heard of I-4? When you get to the city limits of Daytona, it's Bevel Road, okay? Named after her family that owned a dairy farm, okay? Wealthy people. And she's just a little 100-year-old lady in a nursing home now. And so he goes walking down the hall like he owns it, you know, this big guy coming in, and he turns and opens her door to her room, and he goes, oh, good. He said, man, get in there and fix her. I thought, what? And so I, I peek around the corner, oh, and Sister Bevel is laying there. Her sheets have fallen off of her bed. She's stark naked, laying on her bed, waving. Bless her heart. So I back in, find the sheet, and start covering her from her feet up. And, but that arrogance, that, that it was beyond him to minister to somebody like that. And so while I was there at the church, I never desired to sit under him to learn ministry. So guess who God brought to me? The church custodian, Bill Peak from Maryland. He had that Maryland accent, I mean strong. And Bill Peak, the custodian, would meet with me every day for lunch in his custodial room closet. The closet was probably from here to that wall and where this first table is, this whole area. We had cleaning agents in there. We had brooms and shovels and every kind of tool. And it smelled uh, like, like cleaning agent. We would sit in there and eat our lunch, and he would open the Bible and pour into me and teach me. And then at the end of the day, he'd say, Now, tonight, are you free? I'd say, Well... Yeah, you're free. Okay, tonight, be at my, at my trailer at this time. Oh, okay, what, what, what's going on? Just be there. I'd show up at, a he lived in a trailer park, had a little trailer. I'd show up, he had a little old truck that was just beat up. I mean, it was, and we'd show up and he'd say, let's go. He'd take a box out of the house. We'd walk out, put that in the back of the truck and head off and go over to 2nd Avenue in the black community. And we go up to a little house, I mean, just a really rough-looking little house. And he'd knock on the door, and a little lady would come to the door, and he'd say, ma'am, you don't know me. Uh, my name is Bill. And the Lord wanted me to come tonight and put a new starter in your car. And we'd have flashlights, and we'd work under the car. 
not just learning the Bible, living the Word. That's who God chose for me to get my first introduction into ministry. I'm so thankful for that. Later, I went and took classes, went to Knox Theological Seminary. But I'll never forget that. Thank the Lord. Sometimes we, we just look down upon the thing. I mean, if you think about Elijah hearing God say, you're going to be fed by ravens. Ravens were filthy birds, biblically. They were not looked at as clean. They were unclean animals. And you're going to let me eat food that's been in the mouth of an unclean animal? But he was totally given to whatever God said do. And then the stream starts to dry up because there's a drought. What do you think he was thinking as that was happening? Man, why did I follow God out here? Good grief, this is crazy. He could have at least let me go to some city where they still have some water sources. That's how the Lord works. So, verse 7, after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Oh, thank you. No rain in the land. Uh, Elijah was very much aware this was the beginning of the drought, right? He's the one that spoke that word, so he knows all too well what's happening. But he was trusting the Lord, just as he trusted God to go and stand before the king and make the declaration, just as he trusted God to go to Cherith, the brook Cherith, just as he will trust God for however God's going to move because the brook is drying up. Verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. When did God give him the next assignment, the next step? When the brook dried up. You and I would say, Lord, now this brook is drying up. I, I really need to hear from you now. And God's like, there's still water there. What are you complaining about? You trust me, not the brook. I'm telling you to stay there and to keep drinking until there's nothing left. Then, then I will tell you where to go. This is our lives that we're talking about here tonight. This is how the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob works. When he told Abraham to leave his people, leave your homeland, leave your everything you own, leave your house, and I want you to follow me. I want, I'm going to take you somewhere. Abraham set out on a journey the next day, it says. He had no clue where he was going. He just did step one, leave. And then God began to speak as God needed to tell him information, right? This is how God works. This is so opposite of what you and I work for in our lives. We plan ahead. We want this. I want that. I, so I'm going to lay the plans. I'm going to do what's necessary so that I have peace and calm and, and I'm able to enjoy. And God's like, that's not walking by faith. I need you to walk by faith. Verse 9, Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So I want you to leave... Uh, the, the brook Cherith, and I want you to go to Zarephath. And Zarephath was a town on the Mediterranean coast. It was about seven miles south of Sidon. 
Sidon is, the, is a Gentile city. So Elijah is being sent to a territory that now is controlled, get this, by Jezebel's father. That's where God sent Elijah. Talk about walking by faith. Don't you think there's some testing going on here? God's testing his man. Are you going to go there? Ethbal or Ethbaal is his name. So God's showing Elijah that his power is absolutely intact. And even if I place you in the seat of sin and rebellion and idol worship, I'm still in control. I will still provide for you and I still will use you for my mission. We as a people of God need to hear that tonight living in our country right now. God will provide miraculously for Elijah at the hands of, what did he say in verse 9 that I read? Behold, I have commanded a widow in Zarephath to feed you. Okay, here's the issue, folks. Elijah's a Hebrew. The widow in Zarephath is a Gentile. This is not the age after Christ. This is before Christ. This is when the Jews hated Gentiles. They were dogs. So first God tests Elijah, you're going to be fed by unclean animals. Now you're going to have a Gentile widow feed you. When he gets there and he sees the widow, what is she doing? She's gathering sticks. He doesn't have firewood stored up. No cords next to her house that she can go out and get. She's down to sticks to make a fire. She is extremely poor. I imagine when Elijah saw her, the thought had to cross his mind in the flesh. I know a lot of widows that are Jews that are pretty wealthy. Why couldn't God send me to one of them? Gave her the poorest of the poor, and she's a Gentile. By the way, widows in the Old Testament in general were notorious for poverty. It's, it's interesting that when Jesus was rejected by His own people, He actually used this example in the Old Testament to make the point, the illustration of God's right to choose people for Himself. So in Luke chapter 4, go ahead, Luke 4, write it down, Luke 4, 24 through 26. Luke 4, 24 through 26. And, and He said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, the widows that were Jewish, that were wealthy or unwealthy, didn't matter. He sent him to a Gentile widow in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. In other words, God does it His way and it doesn't. He doesn't care to line up with your way. He just doesn't care about doing it your way. And this is the point of contention that we have with God. This is when you and I get frustrated with God. We're not frustrated because we don't understand what He's saying. We're frustrating, frustrated because we see what He's doing and we don't like it. That's not the way I want to do it, Lord. 
But that might be the exact way that God is wanting to move in your life. Why? Because God said through that, through the lower ways, <laughs> I can teach you to trust me. And you'll grow in your faith. You'll grow in your character by just learning to follow me and work in the field that I place you rather than the field you want to be in. This is one of the biggest uh, issues that we as Americans need to, need to deal with because in America, it's really important that we have retirement. We have funds for retirement. Okay, now, I don't think there's anywhere in the Scripture that it says that you cannot retire from working for a particular company, working for a, at a particular job. But I do think Scripture speaks to the fact that until the day you die, God expects you to trust Him and walk with Him and not kick back on a golf course somewhere where you just live off of your retirement and watch the dandelions grow. Okay? God wants us to be productive citizens of heaven while we're on earth. Amen? So this is Elijah. We don't know his age, but God's not making it easy on him. There are no five-star hotels that God is putting Elijah up in. He's not even staying at the one star. He's, he's staying over in the shack on the other side of town that nobody wants to ever go by. That's where God has brought Elijah. In verse 12, or verse 10, So he arose and went to Seraphath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her, and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So he's asked for water from this woman that he doesn't know, and he's asked for a morsel of bread. All he knows is what the Scripture says back in the other text, that I have commanded a widow to feed you. Well, evidently, God hadn't made the widow aware of that yet. Which is on the other side of the issue. You're supposed to follow God and do whatever He asks you to do. Sometimes God uses people that aren't even saved to do His will, to do His work, and they don't even know it. That's what's happening here. Verse 12, And she said, As the Lord your God lives. Interesting. The Lord your God. Why? Because she's not, she's a Gentile. First of all, she cannot take God as her God. She's not allowed to practice the Jewish customs and traditions. She's not allowed. She's not allowed to make animal sacrifice for her sins. But she's not doing that. She's probably living in that day where Baal worship is the way to go. That's what everybody does, is commanded. So I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. This is our last meal. This is it. I've got a little oil, and I've got a little flour, and that's it. So she is very polite. She started out, as the Lord your God lives. I have, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I don't have anything. Very little left. This is our last meal. Talk about God's timing. Not only does God provide for His servant, but God also meets this woman at her point of need at a moment of desperation. Remember what I said earlier? 
Desperate people aren't picky. They'll do whatever. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, before you feed you and your son your last meal, first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. That sounds very like a TV evangelist, one of these prosperity guys. You know, if you'll send in 10 bucks, then the Lord's going to bless you. It, it just it comes across as manipulative, doesn't it? Or just self-serving, okay? But no, no, it's not. God is teaching this woman, and God is teaching Elijah to give his words to this woman. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus the says, for, for this is what the Lord says, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Wow. God of Israel is showing extreme kindness and mercy to a Gentile woman who cannot worship Him in her culture. Wow. Talk about the grace and the mercy of God. This is Old Testament teaching. If anybody tries to tell you that the Old Testament's all about law and God's cruel and unjust, they have never truly studied the Old Testament Bible. God doesn't change between the Old and New Testament. It's just that He makes a once-for-all provision in the New Testament that wasn't made yet in the Old Testament. But God's nature is still the same. To have the ability to hear the Lord clearly speak, wow, God, He said, the Lord God of Israel said this, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends up rain upon the earth. That is a very specific, very clear message from God. Now, here's the difference. I want to say this to you. I do not believe there is a single person on the earth today. Call yourself a prophet. Call yourself a man of God, woman of God, whoever you think you are. Nobody hears this clear from God today. And I'm going to tell you why. Because we don't need to. We have it here. And when you keep saying, the Lord said, and, this, and you know, if you listen to these guys who claim to be prophets, first of all, it's interesting how the prophets of old, and you're going to see it in Elijah's life as well, they spoke oracles of blessing, blessed are you, and oracles of woe, woe unto you. They spoke both positive things to people that God said and the negative things, the judgments that God said. And by doing that, they took their lives in their own hands. Every time they spoke a negative, people in the Old Testament, Jesus said, hey, you took you, the Jews, Pharisees, your forefathers, they stoned the prophets to death because they spoke the word of God and they didn't like the word. These people today that claim to be prophets, when was the last time you watched on TV or you attended, if you've ever gone to a more of a charismatic Pentecostal setting where this prophet is doing his thing or her doing her thing, and you ever heard them speak a woe. It's never a woe. I'm going to tell you why. This is going to sound harsh. This is what I believe. I believe it's not of the Lord. It's more of a charlatan, giving people what people want to hear, 
So it's always how wonderful you are, and God wants to bless you, and God wants to give you, and you've gone through this terrible season in your life, but God's been watching, and now God's going to provide for you tenfold what you want. And your people are going, oh, just loving it. Appealing to their flesh. What would happen if a prophet today said, here's what the Lord told me, that uh, he loves you and he's going to put you through a, a, a time of testing and you're going to, you're not, there's going to be a drought in your, in your neighborhood and you're going to lose your job and there's no money, to, but God's going to feed you by the mouth of a raven and, and there's going to be a little canal behind your house that's filthy water, but God's going to feed you and drink and you're going to drink from that and you won't die. How many people get, get excited? Woo! Heard from the Lord tonight. Man, I love that prophet. You see the difference? Be very, very careful, friends. You say, Pastor, you're speaking against. Yes, I am, without apology, because the Bible speaks against. Apostle Paul called out those who had abandoned the faith and were leading others to abandon the faith. Jude says, contend for the faith that was once for all passed down to the saints. Contend. Stand up against false teachers, false prophets. As a shepherd, an under-shepherd of Christ, I am to protect the flock. Jesus said, the good shepherd said, that a hired hand that's over the flock, when the wolf comes, the hired hand runs. In other words, he thinks of himself more than he does the sheep. But when a shepherd of God is tending the flock and a wolf comes, he lays down his life for the sheep. This is very important that we understand. We live in a day when there's a lot of wolves. And there's so many Christians who are not discerning of wolves. You know why? Because they're letting their flesh lead them. But I love the feeling when I go and he says such good things, and I just want to hear. And if I can just get up front where he can knock me down again. I'm just telling you, that's, that's not of the Lord. That's not how the Lord works. We have this. Everything we need for righteousness and godliness in Christ Jesus, the Bible says, is right here. Everything, not some, everything. Don't be led astray. Okay? Verse 15, and she went and did, as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. Now he's kind of moved into the house. He's in an upstairs chamber or a higher loft area above the floor. And that's where he's staying. And neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the, and the flour was not spent, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. So God kept his word. So God fulfilled the promise. I love that. I love that. Verse 17, And after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. He died. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? Have you come here to remind me of my shame and my guilt of my sins? And now God has taken my boy because of my sins? Notice how he responds. He does not address that statement. 
that God is judging you because of your prior sins. He skips right over it. He ignores it. And he says to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up in the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? So he's, he's crying out his heart before God for what's happened. Verse 21, then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this, let this child, child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Well, now stop for a second. This makes it look like Elijah talked God into bringing this boy back to life. If God has foreknowledge, is it possible that you could come up with a suggestion and make an appeal before God that he had not considered and had not already acted upon? The Bible says that God knows the, the, uh, the end from the beginning. He knows everything. What's really happening here is Elijah is lining up with God's will for this boy. All of this is a picture to show a, a, a uh, Gentile widow that God is the true God and that Elijah is God's man. And Elijah took the child and brought him down and from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to him, uh, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. So this woman comes into a greater understanding of the one true God while she's living in a pagan world. Now, interesting that he would stretch himself out over the boy three times. And some people will read this and they'll go, ooh, that's, a, that's an interesting prayer technique. I've, I've, never, I've never used that one. So let's stretch out over people and let's pray over them so that they can be healed. It's not about the method. It's not about the technique. It's about Elijah in prayer crying out to God and aligning himself with God's will and purpose. And it was God's will and purpose to raise the boy. See, here's what happens when you place your faith in faith. If I, or if I, let's say it this way. If I place my faith in the healing power of God, here's what happens. So what is going on in my head if God doesn't heal? And I place my faith in the healing power of God. I got a real problem. God does not call you to place your faith in his healing power. You place your faith in God who can heal. Whether he does, we don't know. We pray, we line up, we ask for healing. There's, we should ask, be careful of nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. But when you read the verse by Jesus asking, you'll receive, seeking, you'll knock, and the door will be open, he's not saying whatever you request is going to happen. He's saying, by when you're doing that, you are lining up with what God wants. You're asking for God's will to be done. You're seeking God's will. The door that opens is what God wants, not what you want. We really need to line up with God. And so it's not about the technique that he used, because nowhere in Scripture do we see that technique used again. There's no technique. That's not the answer. There's no magical formula for healing. 
or for raising the dead. By the way, there, there are Christian churches. There's one in California, Bethel Church. Bethel Church. You ever heard of any Bethel music? A lot. A lot of Christians listen to the Bethel music. Some of their songs are doctrinally accurate, and there's nothing wrong with listening. Some of their stuff is not accurate, but a lot of Christians don't discern the difference. Did you know that in the Bethel church, when somebody dies who was a saint or a person who was just a great man or woman of God, they actually, what do they call it, where they go and they literally lay on the ground at the grave, grave sucking or something, where they are asking God to take the spirit that was in that person, that mighty spirit of God, and put it in them. That's happening today in the church. God forbid what we've done when we drift away from the word of God and start looking for ways and means and methods and techniques instead of seeking the one true God and lining up with His will. God forbid. So, that's the end of chapter 17, and we will certainly continue in chapter 18, one of the great chapters from the time I was a boy. I love chapter 18 of the first Kings, where Elijah goes up against the 450 prophets of Baal, and God brings fire down from heaven and licks up the sacrifice. So we'll, we'll get there. But what we'll also see, while this great man of God is able to fulfill God's will on that day on top of Mount Carmel, yet he turns right around like a little scared boy and runs off and hides. Shows just how you and I can be strong in a moment for the Lord, and then the next minute our old flesh is kicked up and we're back in fear, we're back in worry and all that stuff. It just reveals more about us. Amen? Father, thank you tonight for your word. May the word become so appealing to each of us that we wouldn't think of trying to find the answer somewhere else, that we would bring all things before you. When your word says that everything we need to live a godly life in Christ is in the word of God, we should believe it. When the scripture says, study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You mean get in it and study it and know it and live it. Oh God, let us be that type of church in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.